Hello and welcome back to the Coast to Coast podcast. Uh, it's Levi here and I'm here with Pastor Alcock and we're excited that you joined us today. And today we're excited to have an episode, to bring you an episode, a conversation with Pastor Gordon Connor uh, from Greater Vancouver Baptist Church. And uh, he has so much wisdom and experience mm, to share with us. And so right. uh, you're not going to want to miss this episode for sure. Definitely not. There's so much contained, and this is one of our longest uh, episodes, but so much there. And it's a little bit different than our other ones. I really did want to sit down face-to-face with Pastor Connor. But due to time constraints in my schedule and his, I wasn't able to do that. But he agreed to answer all my questions. I think I had like 25 or something (laughs) like that. Uh, So he sat down in his own sound studio, recording studio, and did that for us. So you won't hear our voices, but he will answer those questions. And I'm going to tell you, it was a blessing to hear so many different answers, how the Lord worked in his life, the ministry, the call, and how he ended up in Vancouver. Uh, Totally wonderful uh, blessing to me, and I've listened to it again since uh, since sitting down and that first time and listening as well. And uh, he he passed along some information to us uh, that you can go check out uh, their YouTube channel, and he has a video about the history of Greater Vancouver Baptist Church as well. And I would highly recommend you check that out. Yeah, we're going to put a link to that uh, video and to the YouTube channel in the uh, description for this podcast episode, so you can jump over to there. But definitely go check that out. Uh, they did a great job of that video, and it really brings to light uh, some of the history of uh, that church and the Connor family and what God has done in Vancouver. So uh, definitely go over and watch that video as well. Yeah, this, this is one of uh, episodes that you'll take, and it's going to take you a while to listen to because, again, it's the longest one. But just, again, to see how God has worked, and Pastor kind of relates that numerous times. This is God worked this out. It wasn't me. And sometimes we can, again, as we talked at the very beginning in our first episode of, we need to know our history, and this is part of it. For sure. Yeah. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode uh, with Pastor Connor, and thanks again for listening to the Coast to Coast podcast. Okay. So what I'll do is I will read your question, and then I'll answer it, Okay. So question number one, tell me about your personal background. Where were you born, your family background, and so forth. Okay, so I was, um, I was born in the United States in a little community called Port Clinton, Ohio. That's in the American Midwest, right on the shore of Lake Erie. So Being in Ontario, you're on the North Shore. I I would be on the South Shore of Lake Erie. Um, I was uh, one of just two children. I have an older sister. It's three years older than I am. Not quite three years years older than I, um, who lives in Michigan. And uh, my mom and dad, we lived in Ohio. About age 11, we moved up to the Detroit area. Uh, My dad was a civilian, well, he had been a Marine, but he was a civilian working for the U.S. military, and he spent his entire career doing so, working um, at the tank arsenal up in Detroit eventually. And um, I was blessed, very blessed, to be born into a Christian home. Uh, My mom and dad loved the Lord and were extremely faithful to the Lord. I mean, we went to church every time those doors were open. In those days, we used to have two-week revival meetings, and we would be there every night. Um, It was not a Baptist church. This was uh, an organization called the Church of God, and their, their earthly headquarters was Anderson, Indiana. Um, they were a they were not Pentecostal and not charismatic in any sense of the word, but they were holiness people. So uh, I don't really probably need to go into much uh, holiness means separated living. Um, the old days and at their founding, it was called the Church of God Reformation Movement is what was their full title. Um, but they used to have um, you know guys would not wear ties, women wouldn't wear jewelry, this kind of stuff. So. Not Mennonite level, but conservative enough. Uh, they did. Uh, they were amillennial in their second coming. Did not believe in church membership, um, and um, also believe you could lose your salvation. So anyway, that was my background growing up, and I, I you know, blessed by a very stable home. Uh, Love my mom and dad. They're both in glory. Okay, that's question number one. Question number two: Did you have an occupation before ministry? Well, I graduated from um, Bob Jones University, and we moved to Colorado, and I was, um, 
I worked at Faith Baptist Church in Longmont, Colorado, and uh, was a Christian school teacher there. I taught music. Uh, they had quite a large school, over 300 students, and I was responsible for putting into place an entire music program for them. I was a sacred music major, so I wasn't really music ed, um, but um, I got hired and I did that and, uh, uh, you know, led choirs, started bands, did all that kind of stuff, uh, got their music program going. Um, I also um, ended up painting some, which really had a play later on uh, in my life and helped me a lot in the early days of my ministry. But uh, as far as, you know, having a job and a career and God calling me into the ministry, no, that um, I'll tell you a little bit about that later on. Okay, question number three. How did you become a believer? This one's a little bit lengthy. <clears throat> so, how did you become a believer? Well, I, as I said, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, I, I remember um, in those days, we used to have invitations, altar calls, we called it. Um, I remember going forward when I was about eight years old. Um, kneeling at a mourner's bench. Um, nobody came to me. Nobody sat down, opened the Bible, told me what I needed to do, although I think I probably could have guessed what I needed to do. Um, but I always looked at that as being my salvation. Um, I prayed, and the church baptized me, and you know everything was wonderful. Um, but during my teenage years, there was a lot going on, even though I was very active in church, um, a lot of things going on in my life that were ungodly and wicked and certainly things I was, I'm not proud of to this day, um, but sort of gave evidence that maybe I was not uh, really uh, born again. But I ended up going off to Bob Jones University, and that sort of straightened you up a little bit. Um, you know, not that I was wildly carousing and drinking or anything of that nature, because my parents would have beat that out of me pretty quickly. Um, but... Um, you know, definitely things were not what they should have been and evidence that there was no true born-again experience. Um, but anyway, I uh, went to Bob Jones, and once I got to Bob Jones, um, things were going, uh, well, I'm going to put this on pause. Oh, no, I'll keep going. I, I did leave my text on so I could uh, be reached. And um, anyway, so I'm just uh, getting that text. All right, so... Jocelyn and I eventually ended up going to Simcoe, Ontario. I taught about two years in uh, Ontario, or excuse me, Ontario, two years in Colorado, and then uh, we went to uh, Simcoe, Ontario. That's a pretty neat story in itself, but I'll, you didn't ask me about that. So uh, um, we went to Simcoe and we're serving in the ministry there. And uh, in those days, um, guys in the Ontario area would have... Uh, uh, fellowship meetings, usually about once, almost once a month. And a church would maybe tie it with a special meeting they were having. And we would go over Monday night and uh, have some preaching on Monday night and go back. Uh, guys would stay over if they were up there that go for Tuesday, sometimes into Tuesday night. And it really was a bit of a social event for a lot of people, um, especially in Simcoe. Um, if it was like in Hamilton or somewhere like that, uh, people would go, Simcoe didn't have a lot of restaurants and stuff, so we'd go up to Simcoe, go to Swiss Chalet or something like that, and uh, go in and go to the meeting. Well, Joss and I had gotten, uh, we had a, one child at that time, Peter, and we'd gotten a babysitter, and, um, and we ended up going alone. We didn't go with other people, and we went out, went to eat, and we were in Stony Creek. Lloyd Sell was the pastor in those days, and uh, he had a preacher from Ohio, actually, um, I can't, boy, I want to say it was Richard Sandlin. I don't remember. But anyway, he, <clears throat> he preached a message. It was pretty good. Um, but, but he talked about, he talked about a lady in his church, a deacon's wife, I think. It sounded like she'd just recently gotten saved. And, uh, so he talked a little bit about that and talked about being sure of your salvation, et cetera, et cetera. Well, on, on the way home that night, um, Joss and I were, of course, were alone, as I said. We were driving. On the way home, I asked my wife, and this is terrible. We've been married for I don't know how many years at that point. Not too many, but, you know, four or five probably. And I asked her, I said, well, when did you get saved? And she said, well, it's sort of like a process. Now, she had been through a lot. Uh, she had been in a good Baptist church as a little girl. Um, <clears throat> they had moved uh, and uh, actually for a while went to the Church of Christ 
um, then came back to Denver, and while in Denver, because she was from Denver, um, uh, got into a group called the Berean Fundamental, which was pretty solid, and then ended up at Bob Jones. Of course, we met and got married. <clears throat> but she said it was sort of like a process. And uh, you should be asking these questions before you get married. I understand. And then she looked at me, well, when did you get saved? I said, well, I recounted the eight-year-old experience I just shared with you. Um, and, but we were both very agitated in spirit. Definitely, definitely. God was working in us. And we basically, I remember that night, we, we finally, we, you know, taking the babysitter back, got my kid in bed and all that kind of stuff. Or he was already in bed, but we got in bed. And I, and I, I remember rolling over to, you know, to her in the bed and saying, look, we're saved. This is stupid. Good night. And we went to sleep and didn't think anything more about that. That was in January of 1980. Um, in June of 1980, uh, Bethel and Simcoe hosted a fellowship meeting. And I'll tell you, it was a, it was a powerful, powerful meeting. Now, in those days, it, it was very popular. And like we had 500 people there. The place was just packed right out. Churches from all over southern Ontario were there. And Roy Thompson was there and Dr. Monroe Parker. Monroe Parker is an old evangelist, been around for a long, long time. Uh, Roy Thompson preached that night, uh, the last night of the meeting, and just preached a powerful message. Uh, Americans have been held hostage in, in uh, Iran. And so he preached on America you know, even though it was a Canadian meeting, you know, he, he made that because the reasons were the same. He taught, you know, made a broad application about America held hostage. Powerful message. And then uh, Monroe Parker got up and preached. And just, uh, again, just a, he was in his 70s by that time. Just a, but a, just a solid, you know, godly message. And I'll tell you, when the, when the invitation was given, people were just flooding the, the altar, the front of the church there in Simcoe. And, uh, you know, there were pastors dealing with people from their church. You know, it, it was just an amazing thing. And Jocelyn and I went forward that night, and you know, we prayed a little bit about something or other, being better Christians or something or other. Never really much about that. Um, and, of course, then I was up leading the singing and stuff like that. But at the end of that service, in, in, and again, in those days, um, Brother Alcock, I don't think they do this anymore. In those days, when a service was done, the pastor would pray the benediction and everybody would sit down out of respect for the pastor, allow him to leave the auditorium. Then the organist or pianist would begin to play and then people would get up and move. And so we closed in prayer. Dr. Strachan went out. Um, Gene Broughton, who was the organist in those days, began to play and nobody moved. Now the service was long. Two preachers and special music, all that kind of stuff. It was a long service. And... Uh, after a couple of minutes, Dr. Strachan stuck his head in the door and said, oh, I guess nobody wants to leave. And he came back to the platform. Brother Parker, Monroe Parker, came up to the pulpit, and they started sharing testimonies. And that went on for another hour or so. I know Dr. Strachan used to say that um, if he ever thought revival was going to happen in Canada, he thought that was it. It was so close. Now, I share that just to say that we did not get saved that night. So, go now a couple of weeks, several weeks later, um, a Sunday night in July, hot, you know how Sunday nights are in July, you know, people gone on holidays, all this kind of stuff. We had a, a preacher by the name of Don Hodge. Don we'd known before. Um, he, was, um, he was from West Virginia, pretty rough, not pretty rough, very rough guy, and uh, he had been out in Edmonton for a while, and he had just gotten his landed status, which is PR status, and so he had come down to Detroit because he had family there, gone out of the country, and then came back in under that, and Doc had invited him to come over and preach, and he preached a message. Um, you can find the outline in handfuls on purpose. Uh, a preach from First uh, Chronicles, I think, about Elijah and, where was it, Elisha and the prophets and the death in the pot, you know, and and so he took this story and talked about, he said the pot was the local church. You know, it was an illustration. The pot was the church and kinds of death that were in the pot. And you could highlight all kinds of problems in your church. And uh, as he was preaching, he, he hit on the point, the death of doubt. And he talked about the doubt of 
salvation. And I have to tell you, I, I felt like somebody had stuck a knife in me and twisted it. And immediately, immediately, I knew that I was lost. Even now, I'm choking up thinking about it. Um, I, I, I very seriously, uh, and I don't trying to be showy or anything, I, I very seriously almost stopped the preacher so that I could get saved. My heart was pounding. You hear that expression, your heart leaps to your throat, pounding in your throat, and, and that's what it was doing. My, my throat was just pounding. I was taking deep breaths, trying to... Now, and, and all the time, tears are just streaming down my face, and I'm squeezing Jocelyn's hand sitting there. She doesn't know what's going on with me. And um, finally, but I knew I was lost, and finally, um, you know, as we always do, close your heads, close your heads, bow your heads, close your eyes. And immediately, I went, I went forward. I went forward. And um, I was sobbing at the, at the platform, and one of our dear deacons finally came up, because I was supposed to lead the invitation, but one of the dear deacons came up, Gord Horn, put his arm around me. He said, Gordon, can I help you? And I, I just blurted out to him. I said, I'm lost. I need to be saved. And he sort of paused, and he said, well, Gordon, you know as well as I do what you got to do. And uh, I, I praise the Lord that on July 13th, 1980, that I, I trusted Christ as my Savior. And uh, uh, of course, when I was done, uh, the first person I wanted to tell was Jocelyn. And um, when I got up from praying and turned around, she wasn't in her seat. And I looked all the way down across the length, we had that long, that long platform there. And, and there at the other end was Jocelyn. And she was kneeling in prayer with Dr. Strachan. And um, she said when Brother Don had, you know, if you know you're saved, you know, slip your hand up. And she said, I couldn't put it up. And she knew also that she was lost. And so um, the wonder of it all is that Joss and I were both saved the same night in Simcoe. Not another decision was made. Not another soul who walked that aisle. Not anybody had gone to pray about anything. It was like God just set aside um, that night for us. And for Don to preach that crazy message he preached, but God used it. And, um, you know, in the days that followed, um, you know, I, I didn't have to give up smoking and drinking. And, but in the days that followed, how many people came and said, you know, you, you know, Gordon, we see, we see a difference in you. And it's because you're not serving God in the flesh. So that's the lengthy story of our testimony of salvation for both Jocelyn and I and how we thank God. And a lot of times I, there have been times that I've hesitated because I'll tell you the conviction, Brother Mark, that night was so powerful and so strong. And, but I, in looking at, I know that God had to get a hold of us. I mean, we weren't living in sin and we weren't deliberately deceiving anybody. And so God had to make it very clear. And so I understand. I've, I've led people to Christ that, that were just about as bland as could be. <laughs> no tears, no anything. Yep, I see it. I'll trust them. <laughs> and have gone on and lived marvelous lives for the Lord. You know that they're saved, but uh, God had to really get a hold of us. So the, your next question is really a sub-point of how did you become a believer about our calling to the ministry? Well, um, about a year later, um, Dr. Strachan, um, if you don't know, had a great love for Southern Gospel. I think Brother Ferry has a little bit of that love as well. And um, I was music director, and but he would always like to bring in, um, you know, trios and quartets and stuff like that from time to time. And uh, we were having a missions conference in April of '81, I believe it was, and uh, he had brought up a preacher from the states. Um, Tommy Trammell. Boy, that doesn't sound like a great name. Tommy Trammell um, from down in Ohio as well. And uh, he liked to bring Tommy in because Tommy sang. And he sang, he sang a real country gospel style. And Doc loved it. You know, he had a big bouffant hairdo. And, and uh, it was on the Friday night of that missions conference. And, uh, you know, we were doing a lot of things in Simcoe that I just loved doing. I mean, um, we had a Bible college. I got to teach in the Bible college, taught music. Um, I was in a great church. It was Bethel 
in Bethel today is still a great church, but we were running six, seven hundred people in those days. Um, we built this new building. Um, I had a choir of 65 people, um, you know, uh, 25 instruments playing on the main floor on Sunday nights. Uh, I mean, you know, we, we just, and Pastor Strachan was a great man to work for. I loved him. And just so many things going well there. And we were thoroughly enjoying our ministry there. Um, Brother Trammell preached on the Friday night. And to be honest with you, I have no idea what he preached. I have no idea. Because it wasn't that God was moving at that moment. Um, I got up to lead the invitation. And while I'm standing there leading the song, um, off to the side and the invitations being given, etc. Um, it was then, I believe, God called me to preach. And it was one of those things where you're sort of, uh, you're there, but you're not there. I'm leading the song as I'm supposed to, but I'm just thinking, Lord, you can't be doing this. I, I don't understand. Is, is this what you're saying to me, that you're calling me to preach? And, and you know, I didn't really know what to make of it. I didn't go forward. I, did, I didn't, you know, move or do anything like that. I finished the night and we went home and again, we got into bed and I remember vividly rolling over on my stomach and propping myself up on my elbows and I looked over at Jocelyn and I said, honey, I, I think God's called me to preach. And her response, and we laugh about this, her response was, oh no. <laughs> and uh, we just really, you know, and I, the next day I just thought, okay, God, I've, I've got to have some answers. I've got to have some answers. And I'm very methodical in my devotions. Um, if I'm following a plan, I follow a plan, Bible reading schedule, whatever. And I thought, there's just no way I'm going anywhere near Second Timothy or anything like that. And, and so the day before, and I'm not really certain, maybe it's because we were in missions conference, my, my Bible reading schedule had been interrupted. And I didn't get to finish my, the chapter that I was on and, and move on to the next. And so I had a couple of verses left at the tail end of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter number four. And uh, so I thought, Lord, you know, this is, of course, very stirring in my heart. And I'm, I'm just thinking, Lord, I, I, I need to have some direction. So I, I went back to that passage and I picked up where I'd left off the day before. And there's um, just a few verses. I'm not going to read them all. But in verse 42, it says, And when it was day, he, Jesus, uh, uh, he departed and went into a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. And so they wanted the Lord to stay. And then the Lord made this statement in verse 43, Luke 4, 43. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. Well, that sort of sealed the deal for me. That was so clear to me and so plain. That was, God said, yes, I've called you, and I'm going to have to preach the kingdom to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. So I surrendered. I remembered, I, remembered, um, I thought, well, I'm just going to put this off for a while. I'm not going to say anything to anybody. <clears throat> but really before the week was out, I had this little basement office in on Maple and Head Street. We still have both buildings, the old and the new. And the college was in the old building and, and they had given me my office over there. They didn't have a lot of office space at the new building. And uh, I was way down in the basement. Doc was over there for some reason. And he came down actually to see me about something. And so I was sitting behind my desk and he was sitting there. And, and, um, and, and I told him, I said, Doc, I'll never forget. He, he slumped over in his seat you know, put his hands on his knees or his elbows on his knees. And he sat there sort of shaking his head a little bit. And he looked up at me and he says, really? <laughs> Real confidence building. But then you know what he said? He said, Gordon, he said, if you can do anything else, anything else, if you can stay here and serve with us and, and you know, lead the choir and run the music program and teach in the college. And he said, if you can do anything else, he said, I'm going to challenge you to do it. And then he said, but if you find yourself saying with the Apostle Paul, woe is me if I preach not the gospel of Christ, he said, then God's called you. And he was a huge, huge help and supporter for me. And so I was 
called to preach in April of 1981. <laughs> so there, those are, those are the long stories, I guess. I'm just so thankful for what God did. So, where did I receive my training? I was a music major from Bob Jones University. Not much in the way of Baptist church, local church, any of things. So, how did I receive my training? Well, um, Doc allowed me. Um, I was teaching at Baptist Bible College Canada, and I did take a couple of classes. I took Baptist history. I took uh, Baptist polity. And I took homiletics that was taught by Gary Lamore in those days, who taught us to write huge manuscript outlines, but didn't really get us up to preach. And Doc finally stepped in and said, okay, I'm taking this class over. You guys need to get up and preach. <laughs> so uh, the next question you say, so where did I receive my training? Well, my university degrees from Bob Jones. Uh, I did take a few courses from Baptist Bible College Canada. Do I feel the training I received was sufficient? You know, what I took was definitely helpful. Um, I have often said that if I were me now talking to me back then, I would have said, son, you're not ready at all. So, you know, don't, don't go yet. But this was God's timing and God's training. So I'd have to say there were a lot of things I learned on the job. I learned in the field. Your next question, how did I get in, connected with Independent Baptists? Well, that's a good question. Well, um, when we graduated from Bob Jones, of course, I was Church of God, and, and, and I had become convinced that Baptist was better, I guess, than, than Church of God. The Lord used a couple of things to sort of pull us out. We actually had chances to work in, an, in a Church of God while I was in school at Bob Jones, and then we attended a different one, and each time there was some serious issues, doctrinally and other things, that began to open my eyes. Um, so, then we went to Colorado, and the church there was an independent Baptist church, but I wouldn't say it was, you know, capital B Baptist. It was very linked with Bob Jones and and uh, Pillsbury Baptist Bible College, and I think it was in Minnesota in those days. So a couple things like that. But, you know, I was part of a Baptist church. Then when we went to Simcoe, Doc was definitely, you know, they called him Mr. Baptist. Um, although, looking back now, I think there's some things that I believe today, and most Baptists that I know that he didn't hold to, but that's okay. Um, that's where we get independent, right? Um, but that's where I really learned about independent Baptists, where I learned my uh, to explore the whole issue over the King James Bible. Um, he was very, you know, Bob Jones was never strong on the King James Bible, and so um, I had used the um, NASV for years while I was in school. And uh, so, Anyway, um, we'll shorten that all up, but it was basically there. And then when I moved to Vancouver, we started the church out here, um, and I became acquainted. Brother Jeff Hallmark came um, after us, but I got to know him. We became friends. Uh, he was BBF, Baptist Bible Fellowship. That was his roots. And so he connected with guys down in Washington State, and I used to go with him quite a bit. And uh, there were a couple guys, uh, one guy particularly over on the island in those days, and I did learn quite a bit from them, just some of the things about independent Baptist and, and stands that I take on Lord's table today and, you know, examining baptism today, those kinds of things. Okay, so the next question was, how did I end up in Vancouver? Had no connection here, which is true. How did I know, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, well, obviously, after a period of time, we understood that if you're going to, um, you know, if you're going to pastor in Canada in those days, there were no churches available. So that meant going out and planting a church, starting one somewhere. So we began to pray, Jocelyn and I, and I began to think, boy, we looked at all kinds of stuff. We, <clears throat> we drove all over um, southern Ontario, northern Ontario. We went to uh, North Bay. We went to, uh, there's nothing in Mississauga, Oakville. I mean, we all over the place. And Dr. Strachan, pretty funny, he said, Gordon, he said, I think you could take a map of Canada, spread it out, close your eyes and point, and you're not going to be far out of the will of God. And I thought, well, okay, obviously here's a man with a great passion and burden for all of Canada, and he knew that, you know, there was needs everywhere. I mean, those days, we used to say you could count the numbers of independent Baptist churches on your fingers and toes, and that, that was pretty much almost correct. 
So anyway, we began to pray. We looked at all kinds of things, uh, looked around Ontario. Of course, that's where I knew everybody. Doc was there. The church was there. People that could get behind us and support us, everything else. Um, we, I, I just didn't have any peace about anything. And so we began to think, well, we had lived in the West. My wife's from Colorado. I'd lived out West. Um, we lived in Colorado, so maybe, and we began looking and thinking and, and praying. And then I remember very vividly one day down in that little dinky office I had in the basement that the Lord really spoke to me and I got down on my knees and I surrendered to come to Vancouver. I didn't know anything about it. It was one place I'd not been yet in Canada. And uh, I just I just surrendered to it. So in 19, the fall of 1981, um, Dr. Strachan gave me the um, uh, gave me an okay to come out for a survey trip. So we made all the arrangements, came out, flew out. Um, there was really pretty much only one church in the area down in Surrey, a Lighthouse Baptist Church, pastored by Gordy Hagen, and uh, he was gracious. Uh, he had a family that was out of town for several weeks, let me stay in their home. They actually let me drive their car which was a Volvo station wagon, which was identical to what I had at home, uh, except in color. So yeah, just a lot of things. And I just began to drive and drive. Now, everybody, of course, told me, go to the suburbs. Every bit of advice, go to the suburbs. That's where growth is. That's where new families are, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, the pastor that I was staying, Brother Hagen, he said, go down to White Rock. There's great need there. And so, you know, I looked and looked and looked. I, I drove, uh, drove lots of places. I drove all the way out to a community called Chilliwack, um, I remember I went out early in the morning, and it was a beautiful day. And, you know, the Chilliwack was a town in those days, about 40,000 people. So there's a bit of a commerce hub there, surrounded by farmland and then surrounded by mountains. And just really an idyllic. And I, I remember phoning Jocelyn that night, and I, and I told her, of course, this is before cell phones and anything. I phoned her that night. I said, honey, I said, I found it. If God will let us go, this is where we're going. And I told her all about it and, and all that kind of stuff. And then... Then it seemed like I kept ended up having to go through Vancouver proper and driving around and this and that. And I did do some looking. And I was coming up Arbutus Street uh, further west than what we are now in the city. And uh, driving up north, I was coming up to Broadway. Of course, I know these places now. Um, and uh, God just really broke my heart uh, for the city, the city itself. I pulled off to the side of the road and I sat there and wept and I prayed and I said, God, if this is where you want me, this is where I'll come. And uh, so I, I went home thoroughly convinced that Vancouver was where God had us. And, you know, I look back now over these coming up 39 years this summer and I, I just so many <laughs> wonderful, exciting things that God has done for us and for our church. It's just unbelievable. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I know I'm where God went wanted me to come and where he's wanted me to be all these years. So all I can say is uh, there, was a, there was a time that I wrestled. I you know, went back home. We began to raise some support, which wasn't much. We didn't get much at all. And, and Doc was gracious to let me go a few, I, I think two or three Sundays, a couple Wednesdays. Um, and then we basically drove out here. And, and so, um, but, you know, God just has always provided for us. Okay, tell me, uh, what was it like in the early days? Well, we rented a community center and um, Sunset Community Center, stacked up chair, you know, put up chairs, and they had a little podium to preach from, and started knocking doors. Now there had been a church down in Richmond, Bible Baptist Church, Bible Richmond, Richmond Bible Baptist, Richmond Central Baptist, yeah, Richmond Central Baptist, I think it was that had folded. The guy by the name of Jim Leg had folded and left. I did meet him on my survey trip, but he was gone by the time I got here. Um, we Anyway, we ended up here in July of 82, I think it was, is when we showed up. Um, and uh, services were simple. Um, Jocelyn played the piano for us. Now, from that church, and actually another one that closed, or two in the area that closed, one out in, uh, um, I'm trying to think, wasn't Clover, yeah, Cloverdale area, I guess. Both of those closed, and, and we got two or three people from each. I got a couple in their 90s uh, from uh, the church in Richmond. Uh, 
and I got a, a lady and her mom from the church out in Cloverdale, and that was about it. And we, we started um, with services. We had 17 the first week, but one was a family from Simcoe that had come out on vacation. They had family out here, and they had come out to see them, and you know, just to, they timed it to be here for the start of the church, so they were great friends. And, and then uh, some people came up from Surrey, from the church that the pastor had you know, got a place for me to start. I don't remember who they were. I don't know them to this day. I don't think I ever saw them again. Um, but uh, they came um, and were there that day, and that was it. And we started uh, in this community center, and we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I booked for all three services. Um, we had to pay Sundays. The community center was closed. We had to pay staff to come and open up for both of those services on Sundays. And then on Wednesdays, we had it. And so, okay, question seven, what methods of evangelism were used? Well, uh, in those days, there's no social media, no outreach. You know, guys today have got a lot more tools. And I'd say, amen, this is great. You know, more... Uh, more hooks in the water. So ours is basically just going door to door, knocking on doors and, and you know, inviting people to come. Um, we started, we had a Sunday school. We got some kids to come for that. Um, so now I needed to work. I did not have enough support. So actually the pastor that, uh, Brother Hagen, uh, had a little Christian school. Uh, uh, Peter went there for kindergarten and part of grade one. Uh, he had two daughters, one in grade 11 and one in grade 8, and uh, really did, you know, basically a homeschool situation, and uh, I became their teachers. So I taught a half day, Peter went to school half day, he paid me wonderfully to do that. I want to say it was about 800 bucks a month, and in those days that was a lot of money. He, he also was bivocational, sold insurance, and made a ton of money. So, um, you know, so he was well able to pay me to teach his kids. But the Lord, you know, worked that all out. Uh, so a typical week of ministry, of course, was door knocking and holding services with the few people that God brought together to start. Uh, outstanding miracles. Well, I've already shared and, and I told you to listen to that uh, tape of how the Lord gave us our current physical building. Um, just a lot of miracles that God's done for us. But I would say that's probably the biggest one. Um, although we allowed us to buy our camp and everything else. The aspect of church life that was the greatest to me personally. Um, I'm assuming you're talking about in those early days. I think um, that the closeness that you have with your church family when your church is small is just, is just so wonderful. Uh, we had great times. You know, we would go on hikes. We would do things together. You felt like you really interacted with people, really were able to encourage them. Um, you know, uh, those kinds of things were, uh, I think, probably one of the great blessings. They've always been, still are. I mean, we have great fellowship today. We're very thankful for a church family that loves us and uh, just is so gracious to us. Any problems that came up in the church and how were they dealt with? I'm not going to go into details about one. I, there was one in the very earliest days, and boy, I just didn't know. I had a and I had a plan. I was going to fix this thing. <clears throat> it was a guy that had, had had lived sinfully, and I was. And anyway, uh, it's a long long story. It doesn't really fit in here, but I do remember that I was on my way to. <clears throat> I was going to start talking to everybody in the church, and and I just stopped, and I had one guy with me. Um, I said, you know what, before I go anywhere, I'm going to turn around and go back. And I phoned Dr. Strack, and he gave me some wonderful advice and just taught me how to watch it and see what was going on. And that was a great help. Other problems come up, obviously. If you're going to deal with people, you're going to deal with problems. And uh, we've never had a church split. Um, there was a period of time in probably 208, 209 that we lost a good number of people. And and I look back now, um, there was a lot of slander, a lot of gossip, um, a lot of things, of course, you don't find out till afterwards, but, you know, you're getting letters, you know, we're leaving the church, don't call us, don't, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I think, what in the world's going on? Uh, accused of a bunch of things. It, I, it all, I think there was one key guy that obviously, and I've, I've come to learn this, who I offended, plain and simple. I know that's a shock to you, but I offended him in some way. I don't know to this day how I offended him. But that offense simmered and stuff until it got to the place where everything I said, everything I did, 
he it was tainted by this bitterness. And uh, I'll tell you, he he did a number on me. We had a good talk. We talked through a lot of stuff, but and because he had family, anyway, we lost a lot of people. But you know what? God brought us through, um, and uh, we never lacked. What struggles did you face personally as you pastored? To be honest, Brother Mark, I don't know if I was naive. I don't think we faced. We loved it. Church planting to us has been a dream. I mean, we just really enjoyed that experience. Um, your next question, was it difficult financially? Absolutely. I worked jobs. I painted. I delivered flyers. I taught school. Um, you know, I worked a full-time job downtown painting a hotel, 31 floors of a hotel, um, all those kinds of things. But we were young. We were happy. We were thankful for everything that God did for us. Um, it was great. It was great. I, I recommend it. <laughs> I know some guys go through, but our church continued to grow. It was not a fast growth. We did not have, you know, I didn't have 500 people the first year, first anniversary. I've never had 500 people. But, you know, we, we have seen through the years. I mean, the, the people look at our church now, boy, what a solid church. Yeah, but the first year, we rejoiced the day we hit 20. And, you know, it was just that, personal laboring, and yet God always seemed to look after us. The house that we rented for 12 years uh, was really a huge blessing to us. And we did not find out. We, we found out that our landlord's brother was a Christian, and he had been telling them for 12 years, this guy's a pastor planting a church. He's poor. He doesn't have any money. Don't raise the rent. And so our rent... Just went up minimally over those 12 years. Um, most important spiritual milestone. I don't know that I have any tremendous moment that something stands out in my life. I think it's just being uh, inexperienced and just having to grow and to learn what it is to be a pastor and a preacher and to love people and and to keep pressing on in spite of the heartaches and the challenges. Um, the greatest challenges we faced and overcame with God's help, I think, um, you know, I've been blessed with great, um, great staff down through the years. All the guys that worked for me were great. Uh, I just thank the Lord. I did let go of a guy who was a part-time, um, he had tried to plant a church in North Vancouver and was not successful. I knew him when he went to Simcoe to go to school. Uh, he's a married guy, a bunch of kids, and we had great fellowship together all the time. And I invited him to come work with me. And, and he did. He helped out. He was working a job, but it helped out. We paid him a good chunk of money to help. Um, but it just got to the place where I knew it wasn't working, and, and I needed to let him go. And the, I didn't have too many deacons in those days, but in counsel with them and a couple other leading men, they, they all said, Pastor, we can see you guys don't work well together. And, and I got to the place where I thought, you know what? I meet with this guy and talk with him, and I'm frustrated, and it should be the other way around. He should be frustrated. So I, I did let him go, and, and, you know, it's just a part-time job, and that was pretty rough. Uh, we lost some people over that, went with him, and although he never went on, and he got involved in a new evangelical church, and, and you know, I don't know. I don't wish them poorly. I think they're fine. Um, uh, so anyway, but that was a great challenge. And then again, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, there was a bit of an exodus. Uh, we probably lost 30 people or so, maybe a bit more. And that, that was painful. But you just, you know, you got to lay your head down at night and say, look, I did my best. And, and I'm just going to, I have to keep going. Okay, spouse's involvement in my ministry. I never looked at my wife as being the co-pastor. Um, and she, her job has been, uh, to provide a home for me and our children. Now, she definitely was involved, and she worked with the ladies and stuff. Um, she's never, um, you know, she's never been one to be a big uh, leader. Um, she'll speak at a ladies' meeting, but that's just not really her cup of tea. She doesn't really, she'll do it, but it's not something she thrives on. Some ladies are quite good at it, and that's good. Um, but she, you know, she's just been a huge blessing. People love her, and, and, um, I'm very thankful for her. Um, what was occurring in the province in regard to independent Baptist churches? Well, there wasn't much. I, again, we're talking 1982. So there was our church, 
there was a church, the church in Surrey. There was a church uh, a year or two older than ours in Port Coquitlam. And there was a large church out in Abbotsford, which imploded, had a huge split and collapsed. And just probably within two years, it went from, it, it would have big days of 600. I mean, it was a big church. When I was, when I arrived, it was running about 300. Um, and um, by the time the pastor left, you know, they had 75. Now it's still going. I'm very thankful. It's gone through a lot down through the years, but it's rebuilt. Uh, uh, Brother uh, Eugene Epp is the pastor there now, and it's, it's a good, solid, great church. But anyway, <clears throat> so there weren't any other church. Well, there was a church in Victoria, I think, about the same time as ours got started, American guy uh, from BBF background. And so, yeah, that was, that was about it. So, um, so we were eager and hungry. I, I mentioned two churches that folded just before we got here. So it was a pretty struggling time. Uh, question 17, did we participate, new church plants, doctrinal controversies? Okay, um, we definitely got involved in church planting, definitely got involved in that. Um, Chinese Tabernacle Baptist Church, um, Brother Fred Davis came up, uh, he had returned home from Taiwan because of his wife's health. They came up, we, we brought them into the country, they they were part of our church and then started that, that church out from ours. Obviously, because it was Chinese, um, primarily targeted, we didn't, you know, we couldn't do some things, but uh, they definitely were a blessing. By the way, Brother Fred was um, really instrumental. I had always wanted our church to be mission-minded, and um, I didn't know how to do it. Um, Bethel was, had missions conferences, but I can't say that they were really a strong missions church like Faithway is a strong missions church. So um, I asked Brother Fred when, he, when they were coming to our church, I said, Brother Fred, I, I, I told him my desire. And boy, I'll tell you, the next day he was in back in my office, brought me a whole box full of, you know, how to have a missions conference, how to do this. It just was huge help to me. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful. We've given over $2 million to missions and, and, you know, just so many things that the Lord's done and allowed us to do. But, uh, but we, so that was the first church we helped start. Then, Metro Baptist Church in Burnaby, uh, Russell Mackay, um, we definitely had a huge part in that church plant. And then uh, out from that, then we were helped uh, urban community start downtown um, and uh, with Brother Sean Beliveau. Um, and then a church up north of us, Sunrise Baptist Church, Brother Andy Baduri was there. And uh, we helped them to start uh, Lionsgate Baptist Church in North Vancouver. Um, so those five were ones that we were really primarily, oh, of course, and then City Baptist uh, started, uh, I guess they're coming up on, I think they celebrated five years already, but anyway, City Baptist. Now, not all of those survived. Uh, Urban um, folded, um, and uh, rightfully, I, I think the Lord was in that, and Brother Sean's doing a great work over in the island, um, and uh, Sunrise uh, folded. That's really basically the same area that City Baptist is in today. So we were, we were very much involved in that. Doctrinal controversies? Hmm, I don't know that there was anything really controversial going on. So uh, 18 is, were there independent Baptist pastors in the province? Yes, but very few. Now, once we saw the churches that we helped to start, and then there were a couple others that started in the area, there was, there was a pretty good camaraderie, a great spirit. I remember... Brother Getch used to come up, well, he still, when we can have him, comes and preaches a revival for us, John Getch uh, from West Coast, and uh, he used to always comment, because we'd, we'd have a pastor's luncheon or something, and, and he always commented the great spirit that he saw up here. Um, it, it's no longer. It's no longer. And, and that's sad. It, it breaks my heart, but it is, and guys become more camp-oriented, and they get involved and they become critical and they decide to split over something and they, you know, um, you don't do whole, have the same standards that I have, even though, you know, I've had guys leave us and basically separate themselves from us, guys that I supported for tons of years, lots of money, who were involved in everything about our church. I'm not changed. My standards are exactly the same as the day we started. But anyway, that's the way it is. So, so there was a good spirit. It's not so hot now. There's basically 
I, well, a bunch of guys do get together, but um, I guess me, I'm, I'm just getting old enough that I figure like, eh, I don't need this. So anyway, <laughs> that's terrible to say. Um, and so how many when I first came, how many are there now? I'd have to figure out those numbers. Uh, where is the movement going in our area? Sadly, I think in some ways it's going nowhere. Guys are struggling to survive. And of course, with COVID, that, that's even highlighted, you know. Um, and I, I do. I feel so bad for the guys that are in rental situations. And, and that's pretty much everybody. Um, and they've been there for so long. And now, you know, they're struggling. And sometimes they're not able to meet. And, you know, and they've been creative. I appreciate that of them. Um, but um, anyway. Uh, have you seen things change ministry-wise? Well, I think guys do adapt. Um, some things are certainly probably things I wouldn't do or whatever, but I haven't seen anything radically sinful or anything like that. If I could go back 23, change anything, adapt or do more of, probably pray more, uh, probably uh, witness more. Um, the course of change, no, no. Uh, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not boastful in that. I was so ignorant. God's just led every step of the way. Any words of encouragement to a young man and family he heading into the ministry? Well, I, I think, yeah, it's great. Follow God and keep your eyes focused upon him and not anybody else. One of the advantages of being here in British Columbia is that we are out of the loop, so to speak. Um, a lot of the pressure from other churches to be something or do something or be part of this, we don't really experience out here. And so that's a huge blessing to me. You know, one of the things I used to ponder a little bit, why God brought me from, you know, southern Ontario out here. And um, it, it very quickly in the first couple of years, I, I figured out why. And uh, I think it was the first time that Dr. Strachan came out to visit us yeah, he's a funny guy. He was old, tough, old school. And um, his very first visit, let me, let me deal with that. The very first visit was he came out and he had phoned me up and he said, hey, Gord, they call me Gord back in Ontario. Hey, Gord, you know, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out. I'm going to promote the college, Baptist Bible College Canada. And so, you know, I'd like to see you and da, 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 da. And I helped him line up a few meetings. We, we actually did a little bit of a road trip up into the interior. There were a few churches up there and <clears throat> and we, we had a good time doing that. Um, but I realized that really he was coming to see if we were, if we were eating okay, <laughs> if we had food, if everything was all right. He would never tell me that. You know, that's not the type of guy. He's going to promote the college. But I, we realized he was checking on us, make certain we were okay, which was a great blessing. It came a year later, I think our first anniversary. And my wife made this comment after he and Hannah, his wife, had left. <clears throat> she said, when he got off the plane... He became the pastor. You became the second man. And I thought, wow, that's, a, that's an interesting statement. Encouragement for a veteran ministry? Well, keep on the firing line. <laughs> I think that's it. Until God calls you away. Don't. Uh, I do see some guys, I think, quit too soon. And, uh, but that's my opinion. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't tell them what to do. Um, I'm... I'm thankful that God allowed me to come and stay in one place all these years, and I, I rejoice in that. I'm very grateful to the Lord for letting me do that. 